All the Things You Prayed For Chapter 9 A Mind is a Terrible Thing to Wipe The man in the museum looks like him. So does the woman. That was the most disconcerting part when he fought her. The close resemblance. He doesn't, didn't, get to look in mirrors often. But now he's examined his own face closely, wiped it clean with paper towels in a gas station bathroom. He's pulled his hair up so he blends in with crowds, stolen clothing from a locker room at a gym. He wears a stolen hat now, low over his eyes, as he moves through the museum. He tracks the security cameras out of the corner of his eye, keeps his left hand in his pocket. It's easy to pass, easy to be unremarkable. He is no one and nothing, and nobody has noticed that he's here, that he's different from the tourists and school children crowding the Smithsonian's Captain America exhibit. Some voice in the back of his head is screaming at him that he shouldn't be here, that he needs to go back and find his handlers that he's making himself an obvious target. He ignores it, like he's been ignoring everything lately. He dragged the woman from the river. He dove back into the water to retrieve her shield because it was important somehow. He wanted her to have it. He wanted. It's still novel to feel a desire for things to turn out one way or the other. He's not sure he likes it, but none of the urges he's followed have turned out badly so far. When he saw the signs bearing the face of the woman who looked like him and the shield he pulled from the bottom of the river, he saw a chance for more information. He followed the signs and went to the exhibit because he wanted to because when he was walking away from the river, a handler had come for him, and he'd crushed the man's windpipe and dropped his body into the river. His death would be blamed on the fight and the helicarriers falling, an easy cover-up. He goes to the museum, and he sees a man who looks like him, except the man is smiling. In the old newsreel footage, the museum plays on a loop. The man is laughing and rolling his eyes. He wraps an arm around the woman's shoulder and leans close to the camera, his eyes half-lidded and a smirk on his face as he says something that isn't captioned. His name is Taco, and he is Captain America's twin brother. He was killed in action in the Alps when he fell off a train, Except, that's not. It's not. His brain skips over that information, doesn't absorb it. There's something about it that's not right. And he doesn't know what. He stays in the museum too long. He watches the newsreel over and over again. He practices the body language, and it feels familiar. He waves his hand dismissively, smirks, let the expression be crooked and a little cruel, show a little too much tooth. Easy. 
He doesn't need a mirror to know that he's got the same gap in his teeth as Taco and his sister. There's a connection there that his brain won't let him make. The museum closes, and he has to leave, but he steals a book from the gift shop on the way out. He stares at the grainy photographs and reads the words, knows somehow that the story is incomplete. Taco was Captain America's twin brother. He was killed in action in the Alps when he fell off a train. There was a mission. There was snow, wind, a bad slip. There was... There are phantom pains in his arm. It's been making grinding noises ever since the second dive into the river. He will have to find somewhere to receive maintenance, but he's not ready to go in. The hunger has safe houses across D.C., and he has cleaned them all of money and supplies. He gets a cheap motel room, takes a shower, cleans up a bit, eats a handful of protein bars because he's burning calories faster than he can obtain them with his high metabolism. He breaks into a neighboring room to steal a second set of unremarkable clothing, and he goes to the hospital. The hospital is full of casualties from the helicarrier fight. He hasn't been eating enough, so his eyes are sunken in, and the scrapes and bruises on his face haven't yet fully healed. His arm is stiff when he tries to move it, his joints protesting and whirring in a way they shouldn't. Once he steals the materials for a sling, it makes a good cover. He looks rough. It's easy to pass for another disaster victim in the crowded hallways to put on a vague expression that passes as someone looking for their relatives. Captain America is being treated on the top floor. Captain America's room has a 24-7 security detail on it. The Iron Man is in D.C. now to monitor her. He and the Reaper pass off shifts, overlapping for half an hour to catch each other up on pertinent information. The Reaper is more cautious, would be harder to sneak past. The Iron Man has access to advanced technology, including surveillance equipment. He isn't stupid. He knows he's not going to get in to see Captain America through the front door. He camps out in empty rooms instead, snagging food from trays of hospital food. He ignores the sludgy soup and the tough meat, the frozen corn and the powdered potatoes. He's had enough of those in his lifetime. He doesn't know how he knows that, but he does. He wants sweet. They have jello. He leaves the red and orange jello alone and takes the green. Flavor shouldn't make a difference to him, but it does. And the fact that it does has him raiding the hospital kitchen at four in the morning to steal more little cups of jello. He takes it down to the dark morgue and eats twelve servings, then goes outside and scales the side of the building. The Iron Man is on guard duty. He knows because the Reaper would check the windows into the room 
and wouldn't leave Captain America unattended just because she was sleeping. He has to break the mechanism that stops the window from opening fully, but even hanging off the side of the building with one functional arm, that's not difficult for him to do. He slips through the newly opened window and into the hospital room. Assessing Captain America's charts is easy. She's stable, and she's healing fast like he does. He does a full sweep of the room and assures himself that all the equipment is in working order and nothing is meant to kill her. It takes him all of five minutes, and then he's done. He should leave. Instead, he stays. He leans against the wall, and he watches her sleep. Her face is open and untroubled, her breathing even despite the injuries to her ribs. But the room is cool, and the blanket is down around her elbows. Before he can think about what it means, he's at her bedside, tucking her more firmly under the sheets, soothing her hair back out of her face. Captain America murmurs something in her sleep, turns into his touch, and sighs a word that sounds like a name. Taco was Captain America's twin brother. He was killed in action in the Alps. He fell from a train, and when he fell, he lost an arm. That's not in the book or the museum, but it's true. He knows it, somehow. His left arm is made from metal, but it's part of him. Right now, it doesn't respond to his commands. He thinks he had two flesh arms once. He thinks he remembers falling. He remembers the rush of cold wind around his ears, remembers yelling something, a word that sounded like a name, that sounded like home. He reaches out and touches Captain America's hair again, reassures himself that she's there and safe and real. There's something he wants to say, words bubbling under the surface of his mind, a scream that wants out. He won't scream, but he allows himself to indulge in a whisper. Loop, he says, voice rusty with disuse, throat raw with emotions he didn't know he had. She shifts on the bed, eyelids fluttering as she starts to wake, but he's out of the window and on the ground before she can sit up. The Reaper stalks the hallway outside of Loop's room like he's hunting. There's nothing subtle about the way he carries himself, nothing civilian about the look in his eyes as he examines each and every person who approaches the door to the room. The man who was the Winter Soldier sees this out of the corner of his eye as he walks down an adjoining hall without stopping and knows Loop remembers something from last night. The feeling of a hand on her hair, perhaps. The sensation of being watched. He doesn't visit her floor again. She'll be discharged soon. There's no point in establishing himself here. The real 
problem is that the Iron Man is likely to take her to New York, to his tower, which will undoubtedly have high-tech security. She'll be locked up like a princess in a fairy tale. Loop would hate that. He doesn't know why he knows that, but he does. His arm is a dead weight. Part of him wants to remove it. Part of him wants to pry it from his shoulder and leave it in the Pontemac. It's no good to him now. It slows him down. Logically, he knows he should go in for repairs. He should return to an active base and let the technicians fix him. Wipe him. His programming screams in the back of his mind that he needs to go in. But he doesn't want to, so he doesn't. It's amazing how such a simple thing can feel so enthralling. He wants more lime jello, so he steals some. He sits on an empty hospital bed and eats it until he feels sick, and then he goes outside for a walk. He follows the Iron Man into a coffee shop, stolen hat pulled down over his eyes, and people are so busy crowding around Barry Hallwinter asking for autographs and photos that nobody notices him slipping chocolates and pastries and mints and gum and bottled drinks and some chips into his pockets. He sits on the roof of the building across the street from the hospital, eyes on Loop's window, and tries everything he stole. He tests out flavors and textures and discovers that he loves chocolate and hates blueberry muffins. Pretzels coated in caramel and chocolate are good, but peanut butter cups are better. Best are the square pastries covered in hard pink icing and filled with jam. He could eat a whole tray of those if he could find them again. He goes back to his shitty motel room and breaks into the vending machine. He tries everything, showers, steals another change of clothes, and returns to the hospital at night. There's more security lurking now. A regular patrol outside as well as through the halls. The sling is still easy camouflage. Hospital security isn't trained to catch ghosts. He scales the wall again and peeks into Loop's room. It's dark and she's asleep, so he pries the window open and slips inside, light on his feet and nearly soundless. He has enhanced vision. It's easy to see in the dark. Easy to spot the movement of Loop's eyes open, and she sits up, a grin on her face. Knew it, she said. I knew you would- Wait! He is halfway out the window. He pauses, looks back at Loop because he is curious, worried, hopeful, maybe, except he has no idea what hope feels like. He's waiting for a handler to come and collect him, waiting for someone to say the right words and make him fall in line. Taco, Loop says, voice pleading. We're going to New York tomorrow. You can't. You need to turn yourself in. We can go back together. We, I can help you, I promise. 
She pauses, leaning towards him. You're my heart, Taco, and nothing is going to change that. She said the same thing to him in the helicarrier when she let him shoot her and hit her and dropped her shield. The words mean something to him. He doesn't know what or how, but he knows that they do. They hold a weight and a history that he is unable to comprehend. He doesn't know what to say to her, so he says the first thing that comes to his mind. That's not my name. His voice is a strange, rough thing. It still sounds foreign to his ears, lilting and odd. He doesn't remember his accent sounding like this, like loops. Loop opens her mouth with a frown on her face that he knows means she wants to argue with him, although he doesn't know why he knows that. Then she closes it, sits back against her pillows. Okay, she says again. If your name isn't Taco, what should I call you? What is your name? There are correct answers to her question. The asset doesn't have a name. He's called the Winter Soldier. Neither of those replies come to him. He doesn't want to speak the words out loud. He frowns at Loop, annoyed, and swings his other leg around, dropping down out of the window and back into the night, where there is no annoying questions to throw him off guard. He goes back to the museum. It's night, and the place is closed. But he's the greatest assassin in the world. He can break into the fucking Smithsonian. It's not even hard, because it's not like he's trying to rob the place, although he disables the cameras before entering. He just wants to watch the newsreel footage again. He wants to look at the exhibits and the larger-than-life photos of Loop's face, her during the war in black and white, and her after in the 21st century, after she was thawed out of the ice and brought back to life so she could fight aliens. He's pretty sure aliens didn't exist before. He doesn't remember aliens, not that he remembers much of anything. His mind is like a sieve when it comes to information he hasn't been programmed with or his training. The Winter Soldier is the perfect killing machine. No will, no heart, no desires. Except he wanted to come to the museum, so he did. Except... He likes lime jello and strawberry pop-tarts. Except he wants to be near Loop. Someone turned the projectors off, but it's easy to switch them back on. And when he does, the newsreel flickers back to life, sound off, playing the footage of Loop and her unit and her brother over and over. It's only a five-minute clip, and he's seen it plenty of times now. But he sits there for half an hour 
and only stops watching when he hears the security guard making his rounds. He hides in a dark corner of the exhibit until the old man passes by, then turns his attention to the exhibition panels. One for each of the people, loop led into battle. The howling commandos. Taco is there, front and center. The only one of them killed in action during the war except... Except his mind won't stop snagging on that assertion and insisting that it's not true. Taco's face looks like his face looks like Loop's face. He can't explain that. Not really. It could be a trick meant to lull Loop into a false sense of security. Except, what would be the point? The hunger is scattered and licking their wounds, exposed. He has no doubt they'll regroup and come for him. But if they wanted him to get close to Captain America, they would have sent him without destroying all their other plans. Besides, when he tries to feel for a seam along his jawline, it's clear there's no mask on his face, no scars to hint that there might have been a surgical augmentation. His face is his face. It looks right in the faint reflection he can see in the display case holding a mint condition, original run Taco Teddy, sold to raise money for the war effort and capitalize on Captain America's fame. It wears a little jacket with many pockets, a hat at a jaunty angle. He reaches up to touch the baseball cap he's wearing to hide his face and tilts it slightly, then makes a face and moves it back to center. His hair is a ragged mess, falling out of the low ponytail he's had it in. He's mad, suddenly, that his arm isn't working and he can't braid his hair back with one hand. It's a lot, all at once. He doesn't like this hat. He wants his hair to be braided. He doesn't like only having the arm as a dead weight hanging off of his shoulder. He sits down and takes a deep breath, lets it out slowly. He looks up at the giant photo of Taka's face above the bear, grinning rakishly, eyes sparkling with mischief, his hair braided, and his hat worn at an angle. Fuck, he says, and this time, on his way out of the museum, he steals one of the replica bears from the gift shop instead of a book. Kravitz is physiologically incapable of getting a headache, without also receiving a concussion or other traumatic head injury. He's still pretty sure he feels one coming on. Loop, he says, pinching the bridge of his nose. Loop, the hospital, needs this room. You can't just camp out here because Taco visited once. Twice? Once when you were awake enough to be certain he was here. Kravitz looks up at her. Barry's got his private jet fueled and ready at the airport to take us to New York. 
Reporters are going to hound you to death if you stay here. They're already closing in. I don't think I can emphasize how advantageous Hall Winter Tower security would be right now. We don't know what the hunger is doing or what they're planning. Just because... I know the hunger, Kravitz, Loop says, her voice commanding enough that he stops talking. She glares at him, then looks around the dingy hospital room. He should press her about the civilians needing the space, point out that they haven't put anyone in the adjoining rooms to preserve her privacy and maintain security on the perimeter, that a lot of people were injured when they stopped the hunger attack. He should complain about his shoulder still hurting because her brother shot him and wanting to sleep in a soft bed in a secure location. He holds his tongue. Loop's shoulders slump. I know I can't wait around, but do we really have to leave DC? He had his arm in a sling, the metal one. I don't think it's functional. I told him where we were going, but I don't know how easily he'll be able to follow. You told- Kravitz stops, takes a breath. Taco would be able to track them anyway. He's the Winter Soldier, and Luke jetting off to New York will be in the news. There's not much they could do to keep her relocation from him. No, never mind, of course you did. I'm sure he'd already figured it out. Probably, yeah, Loop agrees. Barry's been bringing me Starbucks and taking selfies with fans all week. Kravitz leans against the wall and rubs a hand over his face. Taco's arm is malfunctioning, and his programming is breaking down. It's a little too convenient. He has no doubt that Barry will be able to repair the arm, and the soldier is clever enough to take one look at the Iron Man suit and figure out that, too. Loop loves her brother. The world knows that. She'd die for him. Has tried to multiple times now. If whatever the hunger did to wipe all traces of personality from the soldier is breaking down, the Kravitz could buy him trying to defect. The soldier is smart, calculating. He'd seen the writing on the wall with the hunger and come calling at Captain America's door. Get a new gig, maybe. A temporary respite and protection until he could go to some handlers who use his skill set. Back to Russia, maybe. Kravitz has already been pit against enough Russian agents to know they'd like having the Winter Soldier again, even now. Lube would accept any version of her brother with open arms. She wouldn't question anything from him. She'll make excuses and talk about trauma, and she probably won't be entirely wrong. It would be easy for someone who looked like Taco someone who could passively imitate being her brother to infiltrate her life and her hopes and her dreams. Kravitz isn't a good person. He's fine with that. Loop 
is, and he likes that about her. He wants to protect that in her. In another life, he'd have followed her into war the way he follows her into battle now. Loop can have her hope. Kravitz will be her common sense. Being down in arm won't impede him, Kravitz says. He'll follow us to New York. He's probably halfway there by now. Taka won't leave until they have, but if Loop thinks he's going to be waiting for her, she's more likely to leave D.C. If you told him where we're going, I don't know why he'd stick around. You're the one he's chasing. When you say it like that, you make it sound like I'm still his target, Loop says. If he wanted to kill me, he'd have put a bullet between my eyes the first time he'd got into my room. He's confused. He doesn't know who he is, but he knows he's someone. I told you, Kravitz, I'm bringing him home. Home is New York, Kravitz says. You grew up in Brooklyn. Don't use my biography against me. Luke gives him a grumpy look but still slides off the hospital bed. Okay, fine, but I want to linger on the tarmac a bit, just in case he wants to hitch a ride with us. You never know. Kravitz does know. Taka will steal a car, something nondescript, switch the plates and take less populated roads with no tolls, double back a few times, change cars, He'll take a couple days to reach New York, but he'll come, and Kravitz can make sure that he and Barry are ready to greet whichever version of Taco shows up at their door, even if Loop isn't. There's a way he should do this. There's a way he was taught to extract himself. He stares at a gray Ford Focus, parked in an unremarkable residential neighborhood, and contemplates stealing it. He thinks about switching the plates and driving north, about doubling back and switching cars, about taking days to get where he wants to go. He thinks about all of that. Then he goes and buys a train ticket. The worst part is leaving the museum behind. He likes the museum. He's visited more than is safe, but there's a familiar comfort to it now. A security in the images on the looping newsreel. He's found he can tell, without knowing why, which photographs of Captain America in the suit of are her, and which are really of her brother, even when the photo labels say otherwise. That's a new addition to the story one that didn't make it into the book he stole. Captain America's brother played Captain America sometimes. They were two halves of a whole. Sometime, in the seventy years she was dead, Taco's role in the suit got written out of history. For a long time it was just Loop. Then she woke up and forced the world to remember that she was never alone before. That she always had him, Taco. 
He doesn't like the thought of leaving the exhibit behind, but he hates the thought of not being able to keep an eye on Loop. So he buys the ticket and gets on the train. All he's got with him is a backpack full of stolen snack food, the book, and the teddy bear. But even that is more than he usually takes. He doesn't have things. What would a weapon want with possessions? A woman sits in the seat next to his and smiles, her expression tinged with sympathy. Did you get caught in the mess on the Pontemac? she asks, nodding towards his arm in its sling. My niece is a nurse. I was supposed to be on vacation with her and my sister, but with that whole thing, she's been working 15-hour shifts all week. It takes him a moment to find words, to remember how to fake a smile. He's sure it looks false on his face. His cheeks feel like they're rusty. Sure did, he says. Broke it. The woman coos in sympathy and launches into a long-winded story about her visit to the Library of Congress. And has he seen the murals? Her guide loved the murals, but she thought some of them were racist. But maybe everything from the past was like that. Did he go up to the top of the Washington Monument while he was visiting? He sits and lets her talk. Halfway through the journey, he opens his bag to get out his snacks, and she laughs. No, I can tell you're a student, she says. You've got a bag full of junk. Here, I'm happy to share. She has orange slices and trail mix. The orange, when he tastes it, is one of the best things he's ever had. Tart and sweet and juicy. He makes a pleased sound and she smirks. Young people don't know how much they need fruit and veg. She says, You went to the Air and Space Museum? The teddy bear is at the top of his bag to stop it from getting crushed. It hadn't occurred to him that he was giving so much away by keeping it close. He nods and takes another piece of orange. I couldn't bring myself to look at the exhibit. I was in the city for the attack. Brought down three buildings on my block. She shakes her head. I have the worst luck, being in New York for that and D.C. for this. She pauses. I guess we're both good at being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He looks down at the fingers of his flesh hand, flexes them. There are things he's good at. Killing people, infiltrating, following orders. But he can almost remember doing this before. Can feel the shape of a memory forming in the back of his mind, if he concentrates. Memories of sharing food and telling stories. Sitting around a fire, maybe, or in a cold building, huddled for warmth. He thinks he used to talk more, but when he tries to think about who he talked to, he can only picture blank faces. Yeah, he says. Sounds like me. When they get to New York, he helps the woman off the train and says goodbye. Then he trails her to her apartment. 
He wants to make sure she's not surprised by anything else on her way back. There's a lot that can happen to a civilian. There's a lot that can happen to someone who talks to the Winter Soldier. She gets home safe, and he stays on the roof of the building opposite hers, waiting. He makes sure nobody comes to question the woman who talked to the asset. It's not something he would have done before. It's not something he should be doing now. He should be assessing the security at Hall Winter Tower. He should be finding a way inside to see Loop. Instead, he sits, and he stays up until morning, until he's sure the woman who was kind to him on the train is safe. End of chapter 9